All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, tonight as we look here at the Lord's biblical qualifications for a pastor. Uh, I'll just uh, quickly review uh, where we were this morning. Uh, we spent just a little bit of time looking at the reasons that the Lord may have given this instruction uh, to Timothy through Paul and had it to be uh, preserved and added to the word of God, that is, and preserved for churches today. Uh, the reason would be that um, we naturally might uh, uh, want to come up with our own qualifications for pastors, as churches so often do. Of course, young Timothy was serving as a pastor at Ephesus, and uh, he would have benefited greatly by knowing what God required of him, how God desired that he would conduct himself, and what traits should characterize his life as he served as a pastor. Of course, Timothy had a great responsibility for teaching the church at Ephesus um, all the things of God, and uh, the Lord no doubt desired that Timothy would teach that church what God required of not only its current pastor or pastors, as, as I believe the case was, uh, but also what they should look for in their next pastor. And uh, that would be very important as the church grew, as, as time went on. And um, of course, uh, this morning we also added a, th a third possibility in terms of the Lord's reasons. And I said to the men here in our church this morning that um, a reason they may not have considered uh, that these qualifications are so important is that it's this. Well, God may not have called you men to serve as a pastor yet. Uh, you don't know. At some point in the future, he may. We've seen lots of men get called to serve as a pastor at a relatively late point in life. It's great when God calls someone at a young age and, uh, and they know they're called and they can begin preparing and training and getting the experience they need uh, to serve as a pastor. That's wonderful. But uh, sometimes God does not call someone at a young age. He'll call them later in life uh, to serve as a pastor. So uh, I made it quite clear this morning that I urged our men, uh, you men here in our church, that you ought not to rule out the possibility that God could call you to serve as a pastor even at a, a fairly late stage in life. It remains a possibility. Whether or not that's the case, uh, these traits, these characteristics, that these things that define the qualifications to serve as a pastor are good things to have in your life, whether or not God uh, ever calls you to serve as a pastor. Uh, I read this morning, and permit me to read just uh, several verses here, and we'll stop and we'll pray, and we'll jump in uh, where we left off. So uh, we're here in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul's first inspired letter to Timothy, chapter 3 in this message, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes under inspiration of the Spirit of God. He says, this is a true saying. God is true. He's the true God. He is absolutely truthful, and so are his words. And so Paul writes, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, remember that bishop, elder, and pastor, biblically seem to refer all to the same office, the thing that we commonly, or the office that we commonly refer to as pastor. Uh, if a man desire the office of a bishop or pastor, he desireth a good work. Uh, not an easy work, but a good work nonetheless. Verse 2, a pastor then must be blameless, 
one who has a, a decently godly reputation, uh, one who has a reputation for being a man of God. And You know, I don't think I said this this morning, but I, I think it was implied men do well to protect their reputation no matter what. And I would say this uh, this evening also, if you have allowed yourself, if you have fallen into sin or something that has harmed your reputation, uh, that might, I mean, truthfully, it might disqualify you from serving as a pastor. But no matter what, I would urge you tonight to just go to the Lord and say, Lord, sure enough, you know about that thing. Uh, if you've not confessed it, confess it. And then no matter what, ask God to begin helping you. Ask God to help you to begin restoring your reputation. And you know what? God will do that. As you yield to him, he'll step in. The Holy Spirit will step in. He'll fill you. He'll begin to sanctify you again. And God will restore your reputation as he sanctifies you. Boy, what a great thing. What, what, what a wonderful thing that we don't have to rely upon ourselves to accomplish that. A man that would uh, come humbly to God and, and confess whatever needs to be confessed and ask God to help him restore his reputation for the Lord, uh, God will do that. He, he'll, he'll be happy to help you do that. Uh, and then um, as that process, as that sanctification process proceeds, uh, you'll find yourself at a point where you, your reputation is, is restored and uh, you'll be, quote, blameless uh, in the eyes of men again. And um, perhaps God would be able to call you as a pastor or into some other role uh, that he wants you to be in. A bishop then must be pl blameless, verse 2. We'll look tonight at this next phrase, the husband of one wife. Vigilant, we'll look at that. Sober, we'll look at that. Those words travel together in Scripture. Of good behavior, uh, the underlying word there I mentioned this morning is the same word that's translated modest in chapter 2. Uh, ladies are called to take up modest apparel, uh, apparel that is the right uniform uh, for a godly woman who desires to live her life according to good behavior that is defined uh, by Scripture, desired of God. Uh, men were called to the same thing. We're called to good behavior. And of course, we, we need to dress the part as well as best we can uh, and live the part uh, as, as best we can with God's help. And most certainly one who would be called to pastor uh, must be a man of good behavior, of scriptural behavior. Uh, given to hospitality, uh, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, uh, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, why? Verse 5 gives the answer. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Verse 6, he should not be a novice. Uh, he should be mature in spiritual things. Uh, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, finally, in verse 7, we'll stop here. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. He should have a good reputation outside of the church. And that's important if God is going to use him to reach people uh, outside of the church. Uh, lest he fall into reproach, end of verse 7, and the snare of the devil. So uh, we looked at four things this morning, I believe. We'll pick it up here tonight, partway through verse 2, and continue looking at these biblical qualifications 
uh, for pastors. And again, I remind you, um, this is important for all of the reasons, uh, three, four reasons that I gave this morning and have repeated tonight. Ladies, it's important, of course, for, for you to understand these things as well, because um, you know, you're members of a church that, that may uh, desire to call a pastor at some point in the future. So very, very important teaching uh, from God's word tonight. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you tonight for uh, your word, your instruction regarding uh, those things that should characterize, those things that must characterize uh, the life of a pastor or a man whom you would call as a pastor. Uh, Father, I pray tonight that uh, we would have a heart for these things. We desire to learn or, or relearn to see these things tonight, Lord, for your honor and glory, uh, for the benefit of our church, and uh, again, for your glory, Father. Uh, Lord, I, I know tonight it's the end of the day and it's harder to pay attention sometimes, but I pray you help each one who's watching or, or those who are listening online or, or by CD, Lord, to really uh, have a, a focus now upon your words. And Father, I pray that people will not see or hear me tonight, but that they would see and hear you uh, and your words. Uh, Lord, uh, I'll pray that my words would not get in the way of yours tonight. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the privilege uh, to teach and preach your words tonight. Uh, build us up in these things now. Remind us, refresh our understanding of these things, Lord, so that we'd be prepared uh, to act according to them. Father, help me now. Lord, I love you, I thank you, and I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So let's just jump right back into verse 2. Uh, we got not too awful far this morning, but that's okay. Uh, I don't like to rush through the Word of God, and, and I encourage you not to do that when you're home reading and um, doing your devotions and, and praying. There's no need to rush. Uh, it's good to stop and, and go slowly uh, and to meditate in the words of God and, and, and let, pray through verses uh, I spent time doing that through some of the Psalms this week, and uh, just pray through verses and let God talk to you as you do that. You do not need to be in a rush. You do not need to get through a certain number of verses every day. I understand it's, sometimes you have a goal and a reading schedule, and that's not a bad thing, but, but don't rush ahead of God. If God wants you to stop and take it slowly and uh, you just meditate and, and prayerfully make your way through a verse, you do that, please, and, and let God bless you for that. So we looked at the first part of verse 2 this morning, uh, a bishop then must be blameless. Uh, basically boils down to the idea of having a good reputation, as we've said. Uh, the underlying word literally has the idea of not being arrested. Uh, he's a man who's not doing things uh, that might likely result in him being arrested. Uh, it's elsewhere translated unrebukable. He's, he's got a good reputation because as best he can with God's help, he's living according to God's words with God's help. He's yielded to God and therefore finding God's strength to live according to his words. And uh, he's got a reputation of being a godly man because of that. He's blameless. He's not in need of rebuke, and he's not in need of being arrested, the literal uh, underlying meaning of the underlying word there. A bishop, a pastor, then, must be blameless. And then we see this next phrase here, uh, the husband of one wife. And, and let me just stop and, and be honest tonight. This is, a, this is a part of the verse that 
uh, you know, it, it causes a lot of dispute and sometimes disagreement. I don't think it needs to at all tonight. You know, this is one of those verses that we do well to read it and consider all of the ways that it could be understood uh, and then to apply all of those ways to our understanding. Uh, I think this is a verse that brings out a number of different uh, qualifications uh, that really have to be considered. And, and, and this phrase really does underscore the value of stopping and carefully considering not just a verse, but a phrase and being prayerful and yielded to God and, and let God really work in your mind. We pray God work in our heart. Sometimes it's good to pray God work in my mind. Help me to kind of wrestle through and, uh, and, and chew on and, and, and digest to meditate upon uh, this phrase that I might understand it and really understand all the things that you might be revealing in this phrase. So let's look at this phrase carefully and consider uh, a number of things. First of all, uh, he should be a husband. Uh, he should be a husband. Uh, a bishop uh, then must be blameless, comma, uh, the husband of one wife. Very interesting. We, we observe here that Paul is writing uh, and alluding to the expectation that pastors will, in fact, be husbands. Uh, there, there's an expectation that a man will at least enter into the pastorate uh, as a husband. Now, I understand men sometimes will lose their wife in the course of their pastorate. I don't believe that God intends that would disqualify them from continuing on in their pastoral ministry. Don't think that at all. But I do think it implies, that the, verse, the phrase certainly suggests uh, that the man should not be a bachelor. Uh, he should not be a bachelor. You stop and think about that for a minute. Uh, why might God be interested in a man being married? Well, uh, I think there's some good practical reasons for that. Number one, uh, as a pastor, uh, men will often be involved in, in counseling uh, men who are married, their husbands. And uh, often uh, pastors will be uh, in the business of doing premarital counseling or counseling of married uh, couples down the road a little bit. And boy, uh, you know, you can open your Bible and counsel someone from Scripture without the benefit of firsthand experience in that role. But boy, it's, it's just very helpful. It's very helpful if you've been there, if you've been in that role. Uh, it's, it's a very helpful thing to be able to counsel husbands as someone who has been and ideally is a husband. So that, that's an important practical benefit of this qualification. Hey, here's another one, and, and this is critically important. We understand that, that God has given marriage uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is companionship. Uh, part of that companionship is a physical companionship that will help ward off or, or keep temptation at bay. Uh, we understand that a critical uh, and wonderful part of the marital relationship is that physical relationship. And listen, if a man uh, comes into the pastorate unmarried, uh, there's, there's going to be uh, more of a struggle with temptation in the physical realm than if he had a wife uh, and he and his wife were taking care to maintain a physical relationship. And, and you understand that. I, I don't need to say more about that. Uh, being a married person 
who's, who's taking care to maintain a physical relationship with one's spouse is a great aid. It's a great and wonderful aid uh, to warding off temptation uh, to seek physical comfort outside of the boundaries of marriage, uh, which would be outside of the boundaries of the word of God. So listen, there's, there's lots of practical reasons why God would desire a man to be married as he enters into the pastorate. I'll just offer you uh, those two things as a couple of or examples of practical reasons. Now, um, also consider this. Look at the phrase again, the husband of one wife. Uh, he should be the husband uh, of one wife. I think this prohibits a couple of, of possibilities. I think it requires positively that he be a husband, that he at least enter into the pastorate as a husband. But I think negatively, it also prohibits a couple of situations that are, well, profoundly unbiblical. Uh, The first thing that it would prohibit would be polygamy. Uh, Polygamy. Uh, As you know, the the phrase or the word polygamy refers to being married to more than one person at the same time. I hope you understand tonight that that's not God's model for marriage. Uh, It's not as much of an issue today as it was in the first century, perhaps, when Paul was writing uh, to Timothy. Now, of course, it is an issue uh, in certain faiths and in certain parts of the world. Even here in the United States, there are uh, groups uh, that do practice polygamy. Uh, there are, there are um, not large, but, but some groups of the Mormon church that continue to practice polygamy. That is not God's plan for marriage. It is, it is profoundly contrary uh, to God's biblical plan of one man and one woman. Uh, and, so, and so here, I think that the Lord does uh, negatively, if you will, prohibit the possibility of a man coming into the pastorate with more than one wife at the same time or being married to more than one wife along the way. So there is that. Uh, there is that. I also believe that the language uh, prohibits uh, negatively again it prohibits the situation or the possibility of a, a man being viewed as qualified for the pastorate if he has divorced and, and been remarried. Uh, he's to be the husband of one wife. Uh, that word one there, interestingly, it's, it comes from a Greek word that can be translated either one or first. Uh, we have a, a good, accurate translation here. I will never question the accuracy of our King James Bible. I've studied the Greek and the Hebrew, and I've looked at how it's translated. It is consistently translated accurately. Uh, that said, it is interesting to know that uh, the translators had the option of using the word first here. They didn't choose to, but they could have used the word first, a husband of his first wife. That would be a legitimate uh, translation. They did not choose that way. We have an accurate translation, but I want you to be aware tonight that would have been an, a, a reasonable uh, and equally, equally valid way of translating this verse. Uh, the translation that we have brings out the truth that God desires more than adequately, I I would submit to you tonight. Uh, He's to be a husband of one 
uh, and only one wife. He's not to be divorced. Now, if I may, I want to spend just a couple of minutes on this topic because it, it is so very important in our world today. Uh, I want to take a moment and remind us tonight, and I realize people in our church understand what the Bible teaches about divorce, but it's good to review those things to make sure that we've got those things kind of stored up well in our minds and in our hearts uh, so that when the temptation may come to be divorced, uh, we're reminded, no, that is contrary to God's plan. Of course, the other reason to be reminded and be sure these ideas, these, these biblical principles are stored up in our minds is that older people in the church are called to teach younger people. And so we want to be sure that we have these things down, uh, that our doctrine in this area is solid and, and scriptural so that we can uh, share these things with, with younger people or, or even with older people who may be tempted uh, and struggling. We want to be able to provide godly counsel uh, from a doctrinal standpoint that is as biblically solid as it can be. And so with that said, permit me to share with you a few verses. Uh, first, let's be reminded that God hates divorce. Uh, in Malachi 2 and verse 16, the Bible says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. Uh, putting away is a Bible way of referring to divorce. Putting one's spouse away, really the idea of putting them away from you, casting them off, putting them away from you uh, is the idea. God hates that. Uh, the Lord desires that when we come into a marriage, we recognize that uh, we are entering into a covenant with our spouse and, and that God hates the breaking of covenants. Zach mentioned this morning that uh, our God is a covenant-making God. He's faithful to keep his covenants with his people, and he desires, dare I say, he requires us to keep the covenants that we make with each other. The marriage bond is a covenant that God desires not be broken. And when, he, when we choose to break it, God hates that. He hates it. He doesn't hate us, but you can count on this. He hates the sin. He hates the sin, Malachi 2 and verse 16. Uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 4, Matthew 19, beginning in verse 4, Jesus says there, have you not read, he's referring back to Genesis 2, that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, God only makes males and females. Someone mentioned to me recently, you know, Pastor, God makes uh, occasionally there'll be a genetic defect uh, and someone will have physical traits of both genders. I understand that that would be an extremely rare thing. I am aware of that. Uh, nonetheless, uh, God makes males uh, and females, and the, the, the gender that God intended usually can be discerned even in those extremely rare situations where it becomes physically somewhat ambiguous. You understand. Uh, God makes males and females. That's what the Bible says. Uh, that passage continues, and he said, For this cause shall man leave father and mother uh, for the cause of marriage, and shall cleave to his wife, uh, and they twain shall be one flesh. You know, you know that, right? He says, Wherefore, they are no more twain or two, but one flesh. Jesus continued, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. You understand, God takes this stuff seriously. 
Um, God takes it so seriously, uh, I believe he's making it clear here that if a man violates the word of God in this area, he is disqualified from serving as a pastor. Well, why, why would that be? Well, God intends for someone who, who desires to be a pastor to be an example, an example of someone who would seek the word of God for direction in his life, uh, desiring to conform his life to God's words uh, in the big things like marriage and divorce, uh, as well as the little things. And uh, if a man does not have a reputation for at least uh, being right with God on the big things, God says he's disqualified. He's disqualified himself from the possibility of serving uh, as a pastor. Uh, in Mark 10, beginning in verse 11, he saith unto them, Jesus says, Whoever shall, whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. Do you understand tonight that God views uh, divorce and remarriage as adultery? Uh, that's not a good thing at all. We have much teaching on marriage in, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Bible says there, beginning in verse 10, let not the wife depart. If she depart, departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled. Praise God for that instruction. If, if a couple gets into trouble and they separate, what God desires is they work toward reconciliation. That the, that the bond that was established, that the covenant they entered into, well, bruised a little bit maybe, not be broken, but be healed uh, and restored and preserved. That's God's desire. That same passage says, let, the hus let not the husband put away uh, his wife. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 also says, Art thou bound unto a wife? This is addressed to men. Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. If you've been loosed, if, you've, if you have chosen to dissolve that bond uh, that, that God established, don't go looking for another spouse. This is, this is the word of God. Well, what if a wife dies? What if, what if a spouse dies? Uh, I'm thankful tonight the Bible does permit remarriage in the event that your spouse dies. I hope that I will never have to take up that verse. I, I love my wife, and I'm so very glad that God has given her to me. I do not deserve her. Uh, I do not deserve her, but I'm very thankful for her. I hope I never have to consider this verse in my whole life, but uh, I'm also thankful for others who have had the experience of losing a spouse to death uh, the Bible is quite clear that that person, that God does permit that person to be remarried. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 39 says this, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, uh, only in the Lord. As God leads, uh, he permits her to marry another believer. Not, not as God doesn't lead or uh, not someone who is not yet a believer. How many times have you heard someone say, I'm going to marry that person even though they don't know Christ. Eventually, uh, you know, I'll, I'll win them to Christ. That would be great, but it would not be biblical to approach a marriage that way. Be much better to pray and share the gospel uh, and to take care that you not enter unequally yoked into uh, that marriage. Uh, many of you know um, Pastor Bobby Harjo. Uh, Pastor Bobby Harjo, he lost his first wife to cancer after he went on to the mission field uh, and after he planted uh, at least one church. 
his wife developed cancer and she died. And I uh, do not believe that he was thereby disqualified from continuing as a pastor. No. Uh, after a time, God gave him a new wife, his current wife, uh, who has been here at our church at least once, a wonderful, godly woman. God gave him a second wife after he lost his first wife. And uh, clearly, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, we see God does not intend to prohibit that. Uh, and as we compare scripture with scripture, I do not believe that God intends uh, that a pastor who has lost a wife and who then remarries would be disqualified from the pastorate. Don't believe that's God's will at all. Uh, and, and there's that principle of comparing scripture with scripture. You know, you can look at a verse and say, I think I know what that means. But if you can look at a verse and find other verses that, that inform your understanding of, of a less clear verse, if, if, if you can take a verse that may not be totally clear regarding all possibilities that might uh, come to bear on, on a verse or a phrase, if you can use other parts of Scripture to shine light on that verse, to inform your understanding of that, comparing Scripture with Scripture, uh, that, that is, a, that is an, a, an excellent, uh, we could say, hermeneutic principle or, or an aid, a good, godly, biblical way to aid your understanding of God's words. Don't forget that. Uh, things that are not clear, uh, we do well to not just read our own hope or wish or desire, but to search the scriptures for other passages that inform our understanding of, of the rest of God's words. Um, so we have here instruction about God's expectations regarding uh, marriage for a pastor. He's not a bachelor, it would seem. Uh, he's not a polygamist, it would seem. Uh, it would seem that he's not a man who has chosen to divorce and remarry. That would be disqualifying. Uh, he's a man of one woman, uh, possibly a man of his first woman. Listen, I'll hear that phrase again. I want you to hear that. Uh, the underlying Greek here, husband of one wife, it's literally man of one or first, man of one or first woman. Uh, husband of, of one wife is an excellent and very accurate translation, but it is literally... It is literally a man of one or first woman. Uh, does that matter? Uh, does that matter? Well, it does matter because in, in too many churches today, uh, not necessarily, <laughs> thankfully, we don't yet see in independent Baptist churches like our own, uh, we, don't, we don't see men who are married to men seeking the pastorate. Of course, we would not permit that in our church, not because we hate people in that situation. Certainly, we would hate their sin because God calls that sin an abominable and uh, God hates that sin, but because it's unbiblical. Uh, and I don't think I need to say this to our church, but let's say it and get it down, get it in our minds and, and get it in our hearts that uh, a man who is qualified to be a pastor scripturally, uh, he, he will have been married to a woman, not to a man. He's a man of one woman. Um, that is, I, it breaks my heart, and I can only imagine how it breaks the Lord's heart 
that we have to say that that way, that plainly uh, in 2020. And yet we do, we do have to say it that plainly in 2020. Uh, you understand that many of the, at least some of the mainline Protestant denominations have become so liberal that they allow people who are married to someone of the same gender to serve as a pastor. Very often that'll be a man married to a man or a woman married to a woman. You understand tonight, uh, we don't hate anyone, but God calls that sin and he hates the sin. And so we must take care to call that sin uh, and to recognize that God cannot bless that and God certainly does not desire someone in that situation to be the pastor of any church, of any church. So we have to understand that and be very plain in, in communicating that. The Bible expressly, literally prohibits that possibility. Good enough? Let's move on, let's move on. We have a bit more time here. Uh, the fifth thing that we see, uh, I didn't, really, didn't give you all five tonight, we gave some this morning. I, I'm giving you, uh, I believe it's the fifth thing. Uh, a pastor must be vigilant. Uh, he must be vigilant. We see here in verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, uh, the husband of one, one wife. Uh, and then this word vigilant, sober is the word that, that follows it. Uh, to complicate it, the word vigilant is sometimes translated sober. Uh, but in this verse, we have vigilant and sober. There's, they're very closely related ideas but there's a distinction here in the underlying words. First of all, uh, vigilant has the idea of being watchful, of standing guard. Uh, you understand that uh, the office to which we're referring tonight is called bishop, uh, the idea that he has authority. Uh, sometimes the person in the office that we're referring to tonight is called elder. He's, not, he's spiritually mature. He's not spiritually immature. Uh, and he's called pastor. Uh, which literally has the idea of shepherd, one who guides and leads and who cares for. Well, if he was the shepherd of, of sheep, of the flock, uh, but here in the, case, in the context of a church assembly, uh, he watches over, he cares for, he, he provides for the safety uh, and feeding of the flock of God's people. In order to do that, uh, well, in order to do that well, God desires that he be vigilant in standing guard uh, against spiritual harm, against spiritual dangers. Now listen, he has to, he has to do that first uh, in his own life. He's got to stand guard against the wrong things getting into his own life, the wrong influences, those things that will influence temptations that will lead the pastor down the wrong path and possibly the church that would follow him down the wrong path. He's got to be a man, biblically, he's required to be a man who would be vigilant in the sense of one who is watchful and standing guard uh, against wrong influences, wrong doctrine, uh, perhaps wrong entertainments, wrong music, the things the devil loves. Uh, to use to get away into our lives to begin influencing him, uh, influencing us. So he needs to be a man who will stand guard, uh, watch over both himself and his flock. One man says a minister, a pastor, should have a watchful care over his own conduct. He should be on his guard against 
sin in any form in his own life? Would you pray for your pastor? Would you pray for this pastor that God would continue to help me stand guard against sin, against sinful influences in my own life? And I promise you in return, I will pray the same for you. Another man says, he, uh, this pastor must be one that watcheth his flock and is attentive to his work, one that will neither be long absent from his flock nor uh, be sluggish while he is with them. Uh, he won't be asleep at the wheel when there is spiritual danger uh, on the edge of the flock. You understand the pastor is called to protect you, uh, to protect you, to warn you, and to protect you about spiritual dangers that approach the flock. And, you know, I probably have gotten myself into trouble over the years by warning people about certain things uh, that they simply do not want to be warned about. I promise you tonight, I'll, I'll promise you always, that when I warn a church about something that, that I believe is, is spiritually dangerous, that is not a personal attack on you. It's not a personal attack on a person or a couple or a family or some wing of the church, if you will. It is a desire to be a lovely, not, not lovely, loving, godly, watchful vigilant guard against something that uh, I believe the Lord is uh, desiring to protect you from. And listen, this could be all sorts of things, books, music, movies, uh, different places that, that you maybe should not go because of the influences. Uh, I have a biblical obligation to the Lord Jesus Christ to be vigilant in warning you about those things. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't always like that. Uh, a lot of times it, it steps on our toes. It hits too close to home. It hits us right between the eyes. I used that phrase the other night. Uh, I'll use it again tonight. It's not comfortable when a warning uh, falls very close to me. It's just not comfortable. Uh, it Conviction is not a comfortable thing. You know that. When God is using the pastor to convict you, that is not a comfortable thing. When the Holy Spirit is convicting you, whether it's through the pastor's preaching and teaching or just, you know, you're off doing whatever and the Holy Spirit begins to convict you, he does not intend for that to be a comfortable thing. He intends it to be discomforting. But pastor, he's called the comforter. Yes, he is. But he will discomfort you. He will convict you when you are heading down the wrong road, when you're uh, giving in to temptation. Uh, when, when you are giving in to something that you should be standing guard against, the Holy Spirit will convict you. He will discomfort you, and he will not restore that comfort, uh, most often at least, until you turn away, until you, until you make a U-turn. You forsake that thing, and you repent it. You, move, you repent from it. You move away from it. Uh, confess it where that's needed. Uh, that's a critically important ministry of the Spirit of God. Very often God uses pastors uh, in the preaching and teaching of his word to begin, uh, at least to initiate that process of, of conviction. So I, I would encourage you tonight to view that as a good and positive thing. Certainly God, God views it that way, and, and his, his desires, his intentions in all of that are good and godly and loving 
uh, and nothing contrary to that. Uh, and so um, you be reminded, your pastor is called to be vigilant, to watch over you, to protect you, and to warn you of danger. Uh, you pray, please, that God would um, help this pastor to continue being vigilant. I, I promise you tonight, there's a, there is a fleshly temptation to um, lay aside this possibility because pastors don't want to discomfort people. Pastors don't want to make people mad. Pastors don't want to alienate people. Uh, and so there is a, listen, a pretty near uh, constant temptation to lay aside this part of the ministry to which God has called us. Well, you would not have a godly biblical pastor if, if I laid aside this responsibility to you and, and to God. So you pray that I will be faithful in this area, please. Uh, you pray that um, you and, and your fellow church members will always have a heart to receive warnings, uh, always have a heart to receive warnings uh, for the purpose of your spiritual protection. Sometimes it goes to physical protection also, right? Uh, that, that's a fact. That's a fact. Let's pray for a right heart and to be uh, faithful regarding uh, vigilance and, and watchfulness and warnings and a right heart regarding uh, receiving warnings. Um, in Titus 2 and verse 1, uh, the same word is translated vigilant. It's a different word that's translated vigilant here in our passage, but uh, I'm sorry, the same word that's translated vigilant here is translated um, sober in, an, in another passage. That's Titus 2, 1. And it's addressed to all of the older men in the church. So the same idea that is the idea that... Um, Pastors are called to be vigilant in our own lives and also to be vigilant and watchful, watching over, standing guard over the church. Uh, all of the older men in the church are biblically called to do the same. Titus 2.1 says this, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And then verse 2 says that the aged men, the older men, be sober. Uh, that word there, sober, is the same word that's translated vigilant in our passage tonight sober and grave and temperate and sound in faith and charity that they're loving and in patience. They're, they're patient and loving and faithful and self-controlled and serious and sober in the sense of standing guard over their own lives, perhaps their wives and their families as well. God desires that we take this call uh, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to stand. take it very seriously. There are serious dangers, spiritual dangers, all around us. Sometimes we just ignore that. We wish that wasn't the case, and so we ignore it. God warns us repeatedly to not ignore these things, to stand guard against them, because we have a real enemy, uh, and he desires to, to harm us any way he can. Lord, help us to stand guard, to stand guard. Um, Peter, in, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, associates this call to be vigilant, to be watchful, to stand guard, to watch over our own lives, and the pastor in particular, the lives of others. Paul associates this call uh, to be watchful with the Lord's call to be prayerful, 
to be prayerful. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, I want you to get this down as a cross-reference, and you may, you may choose to write this uh, in your Bible. 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, uh, there the Bible says, Be ye therefore sober. That's the same word translated vigilant that we're, we're looking at in, in 1 Timothy 3. Be ye therefore sober, uh, ye sober, vigilant, watchful, and, so, and always tightly connects two things, right? Be, be ye sober, be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. Um, you have to be vigilant to be watchful with your eyes open. I understand that. Uh, you, have, you have to be seeing spiritual dangers, but one of the ways that we become aware of dangers, one of the ways that the Lord perhaps alerts us or sensitizes us to dangers is, is prayer. You know, he'll lay something upon your heart a, as you pray. You pray, Lord, help me to be vigilant. Help my pastor to be vigilant and watchful, to watch over me the way you desire. Uh, help him to do that. And I pray that too. And sometimes the Lord will lay something upon my heart as I pray that. Hey, you know what? This thing or that thing... Uh, is a danger. There's a new danger on the horizon. You need to warn people about that. Uh, maybe I've not been faithful enough in that regard uh, recently. Pray, pray for the pastor. Pray, pray that I will be uh, as vigilant um, and, and to act on those things uh, as God prompts me in my heart. Pray for me that I will do that. Listen, here's the point. Um, Paul, Peter, Peter connects the idea of this watchfulness with prayerfulness. Uh, pray that you will see the things that will become spiritually uh, tempting. Uh, pray that, that God will give you eyes to see things, to be aware of things that are spiritually dangerous uh, in our lives. And then pray, pray, pray that God would help you to steer away from those things. If it's something in your life already, something that you've taken up, Pray God would give you grace to take it and throw it off. You know, get it out of the house. Get it out of your life, whatever that is. You know, if it's a radio station, reprogram the radio. Uh, the satellite station, you know, program your preset some other way. Get rid of that. Whatever it is, pray God help me to be aware, convict me, uh, give me eyes to see these things in my life, and then give me grace to put it out of my life, that that thing not harm me. And listen, I would say this also. Um, you do that for you. Yes, do, do that for you. Do that for the Lord because he desires that. And we are here for his pleasure. But there's also an aspect of doing it for others as well. And, and this is where we saw in Titus 2.1, soberness and and charity and, and love were connected also. Think about this, please. If you allow some spiritually dangerous thing into your life, sooner or later, that's going to affect people around you, whether it's directly or indirectly. If, if you are being influenced um, in an ungodly way by some spiritually dangerous thing, sooner or later, that's going to begin to affect your spouse, your family, uh, fellow church members, it's, it's going to have an effect. Uh, these things tend to be very contagious. Uh, I understand the coronavirus, very contagious, and 
we take all of these extraordinary measures to protect ourselves from spreading it if one of us uh, unknowingly was infected. Um, we need to apply the same idea to things that are not just physically dangerous, but spiritually dangerous. We need to be just as vigilant in keeping spiritual dangers out of our lives for us, but also lovingly so that those things do not affect or infect, infect others in our lives. And so when you put off something that is spiritually dangerous, uh, again, whether it's the wrong entertainments, whatever it is, whatever the Holy Spirit convicts you about, um, you make a choice that is loving to God. Um, that, that thing will, will, will no longer cause the spiritual, uh, cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved. That's loving. But it's also loving to others. You, that thing will not be, as, as much at least, of a spiritual danger to people around you. That's a loving thing. That's a loving thing. Uh, these are qualifications to serve as a pastor. Yes, they are. And we will continue to view them in that light, in that proper context. But I also want to take the opportunity along the way, as we have, to continue showing how many of these same things are good for anyone in the church uh, man or lady, younger or older, to take up with God's help in our life. This vigilance, this spiritual watchfulness is a biblical principle that we're all called to. And so I would encourage you tonight, if, if perhaps you have not had good discernment, uh, if perhaps you have not been as vigilant and, and watchful and, and committed to protecting yourself from things that are not good for you spiritually, why don't you confess that tonight and just say, God, uh, I confess that. I, I've not been as careful as I should be. I've not been as vigilant and standing guard the way I should be. Lord, would you help me to do that? And, and Father, when you show me something in my life that... Uh, shouldn't be there. Would you give me grace to put that off? Lord, show me some good thing to put on in its place. Lord, if you show me something that's uh, out there and, and getting closer to me, whatever it is, the wrong entertainment, the wrong people, whatever it is, Lord, would you help me to keep that at bay? Help me not to allow that thing into my life. Lord, I understand that'll be a way to demonstrate love to you as well as to my fellow church members. God, would you give me a heart for that? Men, as you take up these things, um, you become more and more biblically qualified to serve as a pastor. I'll say again tonight what I said this morning. Don't be afraid of that. If God were to call you to that, he will give you the desire, a passion for it, and he will give you every little thing that you need to take up that role. So let's not fear that. Let's not fear that. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your words, all of them, Lord, and uh, thank you for the opportunity we have to, to really chew on them and to go slowly and to consider um, the applications of your words. Father, I pray and tonight and thank you for 
giving us uh, the qualifications for a pastor. And uh, Lord, we can see a number of reasons why it's so important for us to know these things and, um, and to have them be present in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to each respond tonight as exactly, Father, as you desire us to respond. Uh, Lord, maybe, maybe some are convicted that we've not been as vigilant, we've not been as watchful, we've not stood guard against things that uh, we should. Maybe there's wrong TV or wrong music or wrong books or wrong internet sites, whatever they are. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight if, if there's some things that need to be put off that you would convict and, and give us the grace that we need. I, I know, Lord, it'll be enough if you convict, you'll give the grace to put that off. Uh, help us to choose that tonight, Father. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight also that we, we'd be of a heart to put on some good and godly thing in place of that thing that you would have us to put off. Lord, for your honor and for your glory. Lord, because we love you. Lord, because we love you. Uh, Father, I, I pray that you'd work in each heart now. Now, as you're listening and, and, and praying at home, I, I want to give you an opportunity before we close just to uh, pray about anything that God has laid upon your heart tonight. It could be around this issue. It could be something else. I don't know, but, but you know and God knows. So give you just a moment uh, to pray, do business with God. You'll be glad that you did, of course. And then I will close. Uh, Sack will come and lead us in a closing song. Father, I thank you for working in, in my heart, in my life, and, and I thank you for working in the, the hearts of every single one of our church members. Lord, I thank you tonight for your words. You've given them, you've preserved them. They're still as truthful as they were when you first gave them. You've preserved them wonderfully and given us an accurate translation in our King James Bible. Lord, thank you. Father, thank you tonight for your instruction. Thank you for leading and guiding us and instructing us through your words. Father, I thank you tonight for your conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't always like it, but we sure do need it, and I thank you for it. I pray tonight, Lord, that we have done business with you, each of us. We've sought you for the grace that we need to grow the way we need. Lord, I thank you that we grow as we feed upon your words and as the Holy Spirit works through the preaching and teaching of your words and as he brings conviction and we respond to that conviction, Lord, we grow. I understand, Father, it's not always easy to grow. Muscles grow when they're challenged and there can be some pain in that and Lord I understand tonight there can be some pain in growing spiritually as well but I also understand that as we grow there's joy and there's blessings and that's exciting father so I thank you tonight for the growth that you have wrought in your people even in these past few minutes Lord I'm grateful for that I'm grateful for that 
Help us, Father, to not resist growing, even when it's painful, but to be excited about the opportunity to grow and to be blessed and to know a joy from you as we grow. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you, and I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and turn to our last song. It's going to be He Lives, hymn number 140. We'll sing all three verses of He Lives. I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever man may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. Though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian, lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that we've heard tonight. I pray that you would have grown us spiritually this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.